Let's turn together this morning to the third chapter of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 3, and our text this morning will be verses 14 and 15. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. We'll go ahead and read those two verses, and then we'll make some opening comments about these two particular verses. Hebrews 3, beginning there in verse number 14. For we are made partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. One of the great privileges, one of the many privileges of being in Christ is that expression that's found in verse number 14, we are made partakers of Christ. We are made partakers of Christ. To be a partaker of Christ means to experience and to know the nature of Christ, the Spirit of Christ, to know His righteousness, to know His Spirit, and to know the very life of Christ. When we are partakers of Christ, we don't just have a passing understanding of it and a passing acknowledgement of it but yet we are interested in everything and all that Christ is in other words we're not just interested in certain parts of him we're not just interested in certain aspects but we as partakers want to know and are interested in all the things that is Christ what does it mean to take an interest in Christ it means to be interested in all that he has done Not an intellectual interest, not an intellectual understanding, but a spiritual understanding of all that Christ has in fact done for his people. But it's also an understanding of what he will do. Uh, One of the difficulties of living in this life is not so much understanding what he has done, but what he is still going to do. Uh, We are people of the present. We are people who are most concerned about what is happening now, what's going on in our life, what trouble, what struggle is happening, or maybe we're dwelling on something that has happened in the past. But the one great promise that we have is the understanding that not only has Christ accomplished our salvation, but there's also things that are still left to be done. When we are set in the way of Christ, when we are set out to be His people, we're told that these partakers of Christ say that they will hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. A partaker of Christ is not a temporary believer. A partaker of Christ is not a person who's just interested in an intellectual knowledge of Christ, but rather there is a true perseverance that will last until the end. It has been said that perseverance in our faith is the best evidence of the sincerity of our faith. How we know we are truly in the faith is by our perseverance in the faith. We understand that when we come together to hear the Word of God preached, we hear the Word of God proclaimed, we know that this is the very means in which God has used it as Spirit to bring salvation to the blind, to open up the ears of those who refuse to hearken to it. But there's also a reality that when the Word of God is preached, it also can have a hardening effect. There are people that will hear the Word of God and it will make them even more and more resistant to the truth. Very interesting that the Word of God has a softening effect, but it also can have a hardening effect. But as we've studied this chapter together, we have been looking at how, and even last week when we thought about and considered the idea of harden not your hearts, we are to take into account everything that we hear. We are, we are held responsible by now what we're hearing in the truth this morning. Uh, This is not something that we take as just a passing commentary that's being given this morning. This is not a a talk on good suggestions for how you might live a better life. This, This is the Word of God that's being given in order that it might have the effect. And the Bible says that His Word does not return void. It will accomplish what it is set to accomplish today. The glory of that is, is we don't know right at this moment what the Word of God is going to accomplish, but it never returns void. So the Word of God is what we are to hearken to. We are to heed the words. We are to see the expression of what is coming. We saw last week in verse number 11, 
He said, so I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. There is a rest that is coming. There is a rest we already experience. There is a rest that is found in Christ. There is a rest that the Old Testament saint, the Old Testament people were looking forward to. And there was also a rest when the the people of Israel were supposed to go into the land of Canaan. That was a picture of rest. And many of them did not go in. Why? For one reason and one reason only. Unbelief. They hardened their hearts to the truth. They would not receive the truth. And they died in the wilderness. They missed out on that rest. This rest is going to become a very common theme, especially today in the next few weeks as we look at what did God mean by the rest to His people? What did He mean by the idea of coming apart and resting? There is a rest that is found in Jesus Christ that if you are in Christ today, you are experiencing some of that rest. You are experiencing because you are a partaker of the things of Christ In Hebrews 2, verse 14, we see we are made partakers of Christ. Jesus took on flesh and blood when He came to this earth. He was made one with this flesh and blood. He was 100% man while never ceasing to be God. 100% man, 100% God. And now there is this almost a reversal of the position. Not that we become God. We wouldn't think any such Uh, foolishness like that but we do see that we have now become partakers of Christ and I will tell you what struck me more than anything today and what I love about this it says we are made partakers that means there is something or someone that is giving us this great understanding and this great privilege of being a partaker of Christ It doesn't say that we made ourselves partakers of Christ. It doesn't say that we earned to be partakers of Christ. We are made partakers of Christ. Those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, they are in fact partakers of Him. We have been made one with Him. We are very much what He is. Although we're not God, we have entered into a type of rest. The test of whether or not we are truly partakers of Christ and whether or not we are truly partaking in His life now is if we hold fast the confidence that we have in Him. You ought to have a certain unflappable confidence in Jesus Christ today. I'm talking that nobody can move you off of that confidence. Nobody can move you away from the confidence that Jesus Christ not only has done and accomplished all of my salvation, but He is going to accomplish all that has been said that He would do. We share in Christ. Ultimately, we know that there is coming a day that the end will come. Now, we don't wrap ourselves up in the inability we have to determine when the end is. But the writer of Hebrews says that we are to hold this confidence until the end. There is an end. There's an end coming when this, these things will be fully realized. For the believer, we will see the glory and the realities and the truths of everything that in the faith we have held to And we will experience the glorious, perfect, everlasting, eternal rest of Jesus Christ. But on the opposite side of that coin, the end will also bring the wrath of God. It will bring judgment upon those who have hearkened. They have not hearkened unto the word of God. And they've sat day after day, year after year, and hardened their hearts. That end may not always just mean the end of time. It can also mean the end of your life. We all are confronted with the reality that death is coming. And it will come for each of us. There is none that can avoid it. If we do not die first, we will experience one day where the Lord Himself will come and will claim His bride. I believe that as much as I'm standing here. I believe that because the Lord Jesus Christ says He's coming again. But yet he says, only my father knows the hour. Only my father in his his human flesh when he was here, he said, only the father knows, but I am coming again. 
In Hebrews 3, 6, remember this picture of being a partaker of Christ was also illustrated by this. He says, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope, firm unto the end. This being a partaker of Christ is also referenced as being part of his house. We dealt with an entire sermon on the builder of the house and the whose Christ is the builder himself. We also are given passages such as John 10, verses 27 through 28, when the Bible says that Jesus declares himself to be the shepherd and the sheep are known by those who will follow him, not just one time, not just temporarily, but will keep on following him. It is really nothing to follow Jesus for a day. It's really nothing to follow Jesus for a year. It's really nothing to follow Jesus for 10 years. But if you live an entire life, it's following Jesus, not just for this life and every moment of this life, but even until eternity. There's a cost to follow Jesus. Jesus says himself, there is a cost to follow me. This will not be an easy road. He described the road as a very narrow road. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Yet, even from time to time, I take great hope in this, from time to time, the sheep, they don't wander away for good. They just wander away. But they come back. And the Lord Jesus Christ as a shepherd is bringing His people back to Himself. There is a security that we have by being in Christ. There is a security of knowing that we are following Him. What is the proof that we are one of His sheep? Because we continue unto the end and we follow Him as the faithful and good shepherd. So let's deal with this even in a little bit more depth. This principle of we are made partakers of Christ. How are we made partakers of Christ? What takes place to make us a partaker? What I want you to hear and be very aware of is it's what He's doing, not what we have done. We are made partakers of Christ by being loved by Him. The love of God is an amazing thing. The love of God is an amazing truth. But remember, it was not us that loved Him first. It was He loved us. Don't ever believe that you're a partaker of Christ because one day you woke up and said, I'm going to love Christ with all my heart, soul, and mind. He loved you first. But we also have been actually, and don't miss this, actually given to Christ by the Father. We were given by the Father. God the Father gave us to the Son specifically. We were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world, the Apostle Paul writes. And because we are loved by Him, because we are given to Him, and because we were chosen in Christ for the foundation of the world, we participate in all the spiritual blessings that are found in Him. It would be just as accurate to say not only are we made partakers of Christ, but that we have been made partakers of Christ. We are in Him. What an amazing truth. This phrase, being made partakers of Christ, is expressive of what we even read in our Valley of Vision reading this morning. This union to Christ. We are actually in unity with Christ. Not based upon what we have done. Not based upon our faith. But on the basis of Jesus Christ and the working of the Spirit in us, this union to Christ is based upon an everlasting love. Folks, as I've said many, many times, no matter how much we tell someone we will love them forever, no matter how many times we express it, no matter how many ways we show it, there is really no way for us to guarantee an everlasting love for another person. But when Jesus Christ says, I have loved you forever and I will love you forever it is forever his love never lessens and it never increases that's one of the parts about Christ I just can't get over because we by nature our love increases for certain things and certain people and sadly our love decreases for certain people it happens 
It's based upon condition. It's based upon the realities of what someone does to us. If someone wrongs us, suddenly our love changes. We wrong Christ, and yet we are still partakers. This union to Christ means that we have been taken into a oneness with Him. This is actually a real unity. Many, many times over the years, I've heard people just try this. We're not really one with Him. What a sobering, sad thought if that's the truth. But we are actually in oneness with Him. We are actually a partaker in Him. Jesus Christ is our head. He is our representative. And He is the very ground and the foundation of everything that we are and everything that we have. Everything. I'm not asking you today if you're interested in God. I'm not asking you if you have an acquaintance or a familiarity with Christ. I'm asking you today, are you a partaker of Christ? Have you been made a partaker of Christ? You say, what are you asking me to do, preacher? I'm not asking you to do anything because you cannot make yourself a partaker of Christ. But I do believe that you could beg God to open your eyes today. I believe you could pray and ask God to open your eyes. Show me who you are. Bring me to repentance. Make me willing to believe. You say, I thought that was all God's responsibility. It is. And if you have the desire to call upon God today, you can be certain that He put that desire in you. And if that desire is in you today, repent of your sins and believe on Jesus Christ today. And as I say, run to Christ as fast as you can. This is the very ground and foundation of our communion. We often equate communion to the ability to see and interact and be with one another. But this communion with Christ is much deeper than any communion that we could even have as a people. Our times of our church, we've had times where communion has been very, very sweet. We've had times when communion wasn't what it's supposed to be. And I'm talking about our fellowship. We've had times when things just didn't seem as they should. But do you realize that in Jesus Christ, this communion that we have with Him is an actual communion? That we are actually fellowshipping with Him? The writer of Hebrews was driving home this point that this is the opposite of those who harden their hearts. But then notice, let's break this down a little bit farther. He says, not only are we made partakers, but he says, if we hold fast, hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast until the end, we might be tempted to falsely say that it is us holding on to this confidence. But remember, gift, the faith is a gift given by God. Confidence means faith. If we hold the beginning of our faith is what the writer means. Faith is a gift of God. Your faith was given by God. It, is a, it means to actually subsist. It actually has substance to it. This is not a human confidence, folks. Think about something in the last day or so that you put confidence in and it didn't turn out the way that you thought it was going to turn out. We're, we can be very confident people. We can be very confident in our ability. We can be confident in our strengths. We can be confident that, hey, I can take care of this on my own. But you know what? Our confidence wanes and our confidence cannot always be relied upon. If I make you a promise of something, I'm going to do everything I can to keep that promise, but I hope you don't put 100% confidence that I might not come through in me because it's probably a 50-50 shot. I mean, let's be honest, we, we put confidence in other people more than we put confidence in God. But yet this confidence he's talking about is not just man-made or man-created confidence. He's talking about that gift of faith. We are made partakers of Christ. In other words, we know we are partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. It's important we identify what the writer says. We hold fast the beginning of our confidence or the beginning of our faith. What is the beginning of our faith? Who is the beginning of our faith? 
Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's a very popular plaque picture you can buy for your walls. It's a very popular slogan. It's a very popular phrase. But do you realize he's talking about faith is the substance of things hoped for? Now, that's one part of it. But you notice what he said? The evidence of things not seen. You see, there are things about being a partaker of Christ that I still cannot fully see. I don't fully see everything. There is still this veil that is over my eyes where I don't fully see all of the riches of His grace and all of the riches of His glory. But yet, the beginning of my faith, the beginning of my confidence, something that has a beginning often has a seed. That's the beginning of our confidence. What is the seed of our faith? Jesus Christ is the seed of our faith. He is the beginning of our confidence. There is no faith apart from Jesus Christ. When Jesus in Mark chapter number 4 was giving the parable of the sower, we'll just read a couple verses here. In Mark chapter number 4, He gave a great warning about seed. And the seed is important because the seed of Jesus Christ that is true, that is the true beginning of faith, is a seed that is lasting. Mark chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. Let's go ahead and read verse 13. He says, And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? The sower soweth the word, and these are they by the wayside, where the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Jesus was warning about the seed that falls on stony ground. People that received the word with gladness, they were glad to receive it. They, they took it in willingly. But he said that they has, it has no root. The seed was never implanted in order that it might bring forth something. There are many, many stony ground hearers who've heard the word. They've heard hundreds of sermons. And the seed has never truly been planted. They just assume because they sit in a church building that their confidence is in Jesus Christ. But do you notice what Jesus was warning about? He said they'll receive it with gladness. And here's what he says. He doesn't say how long they're enduring. All he says is they will endure for a time. What Jesus had in mind there, we don't know. Did he mean until the end, which the writer of Hebrews was saying? Or does he mean a period of one year, two years? What does he mean? All he says is that they'll receive it with gladness for a time. But then notice he said something very, very specific will happen. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises, for the word's sake, they're offended. You'll know who the stony ground hearers were because when persecution and affliction come, they'll be offended at what? The affliction and the persecution? No, they'll be offended at the name of Christ. I've said it many, many times. I'm not a prophet. I'm not saying anything anywhere near that. But I'm telling you, there's going to come a day when we're going to find out how many stony ground hearers there were. Maybe we don't see it in our lifetime, but there'll come a day when we'll see where the seed was actually really sown. Was there really faith? We have lived for 150 years now where everybody just assumes I'm going to make the choice to plant my own seed. I'm going to make the choice to water the seed. And I'm going to be the one who has confidence that I'm in the faith because I said a prayer, because I did this, because I did that. The problem is you are made a partaker of Christ. You don't make yourself a partaker of Christ. Nowhere does he say you plant the seed. 
Yet some people's confidence is not really in Jesus Christ. It's in their ability to hold on to Him. Folks, I can't say it enough. You are not holding Him. He's holding you. And thank God above that your salvation is not based upon your hold on Him because you would let go. No matter how holy you think you are, you would let go. He said, you're going to know who are really mine because when affliction and persecution comes, they're not going to be offended. Folks, I can't tell you how many people across this world are living this right now. While we sit here in comfort, they are living this. They are seeing affliction. They are seeing persecution. And yet there are people who are standing. They're standing because they have this confidence that the seed of their confidence, the beginning of their confidence is in Jesus Christ. It is that that gives us spiritual support when we're going through trials. This seed is where our confidence grows. We have to consider this morning, consider where your confidence really is. Are you really confident in Jesus Christ or are you confident in your own faith and your own trust in Christ? Are you confident that your hold on Him is what's keeping you, that makes you a partaker of Christ? Or is it a real confidence that is in Christ? Let me just ask this bluntly. Do you really believe that what you have right now will endure till the end? Because if you are in Christ today, your confidence is, I believe it will endure unto the very end. I have been made a partaker of Him. This is not a stony ground faith that I have. I think it's, it's not by coincidence that the words, the phrase, unto the end are there. I think there are so many instances of stony ground conversions that we have just decided that we get to determine who truly is in the faith and who's not. We ask them questions like, what did you do? Someone says, can you tell me if I'm truly saved? And we often make the mistake and say, what did you do? That's not the right response. The right response is not, what, would, what did you do? What has Christ done for you? Did His death on the cross truly accomplish your salvation? Or you base it upon some decision you made? The very difference is, is not only do we, have we heard, but does what we've heard have any depth to it? Is it truly founded in Christ? That's what Jesus was teaching in the parables. And you realize the parables were not given to the unbelievers. The parables were given for the believers. It's a very difficult thing to give the parables to an unbelieving heart as a way of an evangelism because it was Jesus. The parables could only be understood by those who knew Him. But yet, here we have this confidence that the writer talks about. There is a great difference between those whose confidence is in Christ and those who enthusiastically follow Christ as some new and attractive thing. There's a great example of this in the book of Acts, chapter 17. This idea of, am I truly following Christ or am I following some new, attractive, exciting new thing? Have you noticed in our church world today the emphasis on making church more exciting? Have you noticed the emphasis on making the gospel more appealing? Have you noticed that let's try to make this a marketing ploy to grow our church? This isn't new. Acts 17, verse, beginning in verse 16, notice this. It says, now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? They had great respect for Paul, didn't they? What will this babbler say? 
Other some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Arapagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is? May we know what this new doctrine, for thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were spent their time in nothing else, but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I passed by, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Do you think it's possible that you could walk by a church building today and that church has an altar built to the unknown God? It's easy for us to look at Mars Hill and say these philosophers, these Stoics, these these people who are always looking for strange new things. But could we see that in 2021? Could there actually be people who are worshiping an unknown God and think that they are actually partakers of Christ? Paul the Babbler says, I perceive you're way too superstitious. But he goes on and says, Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Guess what he, Paul did? He took the opportunity to start at the beginning. He said, You're unknown God. You're ignorantly worshiping. Let me start with the truth. And he goes all the way back to in the beginning God. You realize a full understanding of who God really is goes all the way back to Genesis 1.1. And if you get Genesis 1.1 wrong, you're going to get the whole thing wrong. In the beginning, God made the world and all things therein. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He dwells not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, Though he be not far from every one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. This truly is not something that is just being followed after enthusiastically that will one day burn away. Go back over history and watch how many times the church, I use that loosely, has tried to reinvent itself. Folks, it's why churches like ours don't get great crowds. By the way, don't be discouraged. If this is your church or your home church, when you go back to it, and it's a small church, don't be discouraged by that. Please don't be discouraged. This is not exciting enough. Because it's focused on what God said We are to be focused on. We are to be focused on Christ and His Word. The very central point of any church that's standing for the truth should be the preaching of God's Word, not some new exciting thing. I've said it a hundred times. If you're coming and waiting for the next exciting thing we're going to do, you're going to be very, very disappointed. There's no program event of excitement to try to draw you or keep you. Our attraction is Christ alone. And for those that are truly in Christ, I don't have to sell you on that idea. I don't have to convince you that He is your only confidence. I don't have to preach messages to make you feel guilty and make you feel emotional. Because if you are a partaker, then your confidence will endure until the end. But I dare say, anytime we look at a church of people... We look around and we see people and we say, we'll always all be worshiping together. That may not be true. People come and go. Sometimes it was stony ground here. Sometimes it was the wandering sheep that Jesus is going to bring back into the fold. 
but our confidence in Him never fully wanes. John Gill said about this very thought, he said the beginning of it, which is to be held fast, is either Christ Himself, who is the beginning, the author, the finisher of faith, and so this shows from whom and in what way this grace is distributed. And it's expressive of communion with Christ. It is an evidence of the participation of Him, or else the gospel, which is the means of implanting faith, and directs to that which is the ground and foundation of it. This is not something to take lightly. Secondly, we only participate in the benefits of Christ by a genuine, persevering faith. Steadfast unto the end. This means it's to be held fast, never to be departed from. It is something that is not yet fully finished, but it shall continue and be constantly exercised. Perseverance in what? In believing that Christ is the only way. And gives evidence that we are truly unified in him. No man is in Christ truly by temporary faith. Temporary faith does not equal being a partaker of Christ. Temporary faith is also defined as a false faith. Being a partaker of Christ is also not a second-hand faith. Parents, grandparents, our children are not in Christ and partakers in Christ just because of our faith. They are, at some point, God is going to have to open their eyes to the truth. He's going to have to open their ears. He's going to have to make them willing to believe. And our responsibility is, is to put them under the sound preaching and teaching of the Word of God at every opportunity. Knowing that it is God that makes man a partaker. It causes some of the greatest source of stress in parents is, what about my children? What about my grandchildren? What can I do to make them come to saving faith? What can I do to make them a partaker of Christ? Your responsibility is get them under the sound preaching and teaching of the Word and show them what you value the most. If Christ is what you value the most, you truly probably have come to the place where you understand what this real partaking of Christ really looks like. Faith that saves is God-given. It's genuine. It continues. It grows in strength and in confidence. I'm more confident in Jesus Christ today than I was yesterday. I'm more confident that what he has said he has done and what he has said he will do. I'm more confident in that today. I'm less confident in the world than I was yesterday. And if your confidence in the world got stronger overnight, you really need to check what you're paying attention to. There is nothing in this world that I can put any confidence in that's going to last or be to my profit. My confidence in Christ has to exceed my confidence in my family. It has to exceed my confidence in anything else. It grows in strength. John Owen said, Persistency in our confidence in Christ unto the end is a matter of great endeavor and diligence, and that unto all believers. It is true that our persistency in Christ does not, as to the issue and event, depend absolutely on our own diligence. The unalterableness of union with Christ on the account of the faithfulness of the covenant of grace is that which does and shall eventually secure it. But yet your own diligent endeavor is such an indispensable means for that end as that without it, it will never be brought about. Hence are many warnings given to us in this and other epistles that we should take heed of apostasy and falling away. These cautions and warnings are given unto all true believers that they may know how indispensably necessary from the appointment of God and the nature of the thing itself is their watchful diligence and endeavor unto their abiding in Christ. John Owen is saying exactly what this passage is saying. It's not dependent upon you holding on to it, but you ought to be diligently and endeavoring to make sure you never fall away. 
You are not a robot that God is dragging around by, the, by your hair, making you do things, just like you were not brought to salvation that way. But we are to be diligently endeavoring to be sure. Make your calling and election sure, Paul said. People wonder, walk around saying, how do I know I'm elect? Make your election sure. Be diligent about the study of God's word. Be diligent about your knowledge of who Christ is. Spend more time feeding, your, feeding on spiritual things instead of the worldly junk that we're taking in. This final verse, verse 15, the writer says we are to exhort one another as partakers of Christ. While it is said today, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. Simply means exhort one another. Hold fast to Christ and his gospel. Hold firm to the faith and the confidence that you have. This is a repetition of Hebrews 3, 7, where he says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. These should be a great concern to us today. This should be a, a great matter of diligence to us today. We ought to exhort one another. Now, this is another example of where this could be applied to the Jews directly. Remember, I've told you at the beginning of our study of Hebrews, I said there are people who think that the book of Hebrews is for nobody except the Jews. I don't take that position. I don't think that's biblically what it teaches. But there is a specific application being made here about the Jews that fell in the wilderness, is there not? They hardened their heart in the day of provocation when they were tempted. And he says, when your fathers tempt me, prove me and saw my works for 40 years. They had 40 years to see God's works. And when it came time, they grieved him. This wasn't people who had a one day view of who God was. They had 40 years of seeing God do what he was doing. And yet they apostatized. They fell away. This is one of those circumstances, and now Christ is speaking to us in that same illustration. If what he did to the people of Israel, who we saw them, and many of them, they went through the Red Sea, they saw that great miracle, yet they died in the wilderness because of unbelief. He says to us today, today, don't harden your heart the same way they hardened theirs. You don't see a heart hardening. You see little evidences oftentimes looking back. But when I've seen what appeared to be a hardening heart, I didn't recognize it when it was happening. I only recognized it after the heart became hard. And then I looked back and I said, you know what? There were cues, there were little evidences that something was going on in that person's heart. Because hardening doesn't happen overnight. We suddenly begin to question things about the Lord. Did the Lord really say, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, did the Lord really say you will surely die? Surely that's not what he meant. If we believe what God is speaking to us, and we believe what he has recorded in his word concerning Christ, don't put yourself in a position to be deaf to his voice. I know people that will hide and run as far away so that they don't have to be under the preaching of God's Word. They'll intentionally run away from it. They will intentionally avoid it. They'll, they, will, they will hear something and they'll say, I don't want anything to do with that. That's the hardening of the heart. I've watched professing Christians go from, I want to know the things about God, I want to know who God is, to say, don't talk to me about Him anymore. I've heard people say, I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll always be one of his followers who now today say, I don't want you to talk about him ever again. Something is desperately wrong. If a person could say, I want nothing to do with Christ ever again. If they truly were a partaker of Christ, something's desperately wrong. This hardening of the heart we have as an illustration what these Old Testament, which we're tempted to sometimes say that was so long ago. How's that relevant for today? What led to their death in the wilderness was their unbelief and the hardness of heart. What did unbelief and hardness of heart do? They brought upon themselves the wrath of God. 
It's another reason why churches like ours don't fill up because nobody wants to hear about the wrath of God. They only want to hear about all the good things God's going to do for you if you just show up at church. The wrath of God is as much God as the love of God. And to get lopsided to say, we only worried about the love of God. God is too loving to do this. God is too loving to do that. You don't know the God of the Bible. Even in God's wrath, He's still perfect. And the warnings He is putting out before us, today, you are now accountable to what you have heard and what you do with it. What I do with it. The happiness... I use that word loosely because the world's definition of happiness is not the happiness that God's word defines it to be. The happiness of being a partaker of Christ is found in his complete salvation. What does that mean? It means I understand that complete salvation also means that I have, there is a reality of the wrath of God. You read some about the old time. That's why I have a, I have a prefer, preference towards many of the old time commentators. I'm talking way back. Because the new commentators won't talk a lot about these things. These preachers used to warn about the wrath of God every single service and that you need to flee from the wrath of God and you need to, 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 to stop hardening your heart and becoming embittered against the things of God and repent of your sins. Many of you have heard the story of Jonathan Edwards reading the sermon centers in the hands of an angry God. He had his manuscript written out. He read it in monotone voice. And the people that wrote historical accounts and eyewitness testimony said there were people holding on to the pews in front of them because they were so fearful of falling into hell. You do that in a church today and people are like, we, don't, we didn't come to church for that kind of stuff. Then why did you come? So that you can make Friday the best day ever. So that you can have a preacher smile and start off with something funny. That's not where our happiness is found. We find complete salvation not only in the fact that He loved us and He chose us for the foundation of the world, but that we also realize we have been freed from His wrath and freed from eternal misery. That should stir you up to persevere in your faith and to live a life of diligent obedience that doesn't have to be enticed. Let me finish just by reminding us we need to make sure we're not trusting in anything that we think we're entitled to. You're not trusting in your own profession. Your profession of faith does not guarantee a certain everlasting glory with Christ. A profession is exactly that. That's what I'm professing to be doesn't mean that you are. A partaker of Christ truly knows I'm a partaker of Christ, that He is the one who has me. Professions may make you feel as if you're numbered with true believers who will one day enter into heaven. But many professors of faith will fall into eternal hellfire hell because they truly, at the heart of it all, when the end came, they were unbelievers the whole time. Folks, I can't tell you any stronger than I'm telling you this morning. If you are relying on a prayer that you prayed and you're, that's the reason why you've escaped hell, I'm begging you, I'm calling you to repent and believe on Jesus Christ as His payment. It's sad how many people truly have hinged their entire eternity on what they prayed on what given day and they said that's all I had to do because the preacher said if you want to be saved and sure all you have to do is repeat after me. I'm never going to ask you to pray and repeat after me because I cannot save you. You could say the words and not be converted. You can say you believe and not be converted. You can say I've been a church member all my life and not be converted. That's why this warning about harden not your heart today don't be tempted. Don't be tempted. 
there's always the possibility of prevailing unbelief in every one of us. The writer says you are a partaker of Christ. We often say, are there any ifs in the Bible? Here's one of them. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, as we bring this time to a close, I certainly pray that this will not bring the conviction and the movement of the Spirit to a close. Lord, we know that this morning we are dealing with a serious matter as every time the Word of God is opened, we're dealing with something very, very serious. And Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would strip away today any false confidence in anything, in anyone, in any good deed, in any profession that we have made. It's where we've placed all of our certainty in. Father, I pray that our hearts would be pricked, our conscience would be spoken to as well. That, Father, we would not ignore the promptings of the Spirit this morning. And that, Father, you would, through the power of the Spirit, open the eyes of those today who would be considered lost. They would be considered the enemies of Christ. And that you would gloriously save them. That they would be given this gift of faith. And that their faith would not be as the stony ground here, but would be faith that would persevere unto the end. Lord, thank you for the confidence we can have in Christ and that this confidence increases and strengthens with each passing day. Lord, I pray that our hearts now have been softened, that the hard heart has been softened, will be brought to receive that which we've heard today. We love you and we thank you. And it's in Christ's name I pray and ask these things. Amen. Let's